wow, I really didn't expect this huge crowd this morning. And I'm just kidding. We, we've got the worship team and a couple staff members here this morning, and Lord knows they really need to hear the message today. Thank you for turning in online with us this morning. Uh, we're sorry for the inconvenience. Uh, I'm sure, like me, you'd rather be here with all of the other people in our church and, and mingling and shaking hands and fellowshipping around the word. That's just not the case. I want you to know I miss you today. I was walking around here earlier waiting for the time to go, and I thought, man, normally I'm shaking my hands, talking with people, and today I'm just waiting for time to come up and, and preach. So you are missed. We look forward to the time here in the not-too-distant future when we'll all be able to gather back here again. So this morning, sit back, get comfortable, worship with your family. Uh, this is a time for you to listen as God speaks to each of us through his word this morning. On February 14th, Carl and Carol Kaparski and Ian Irwin were staying at a rental vacation in San Francisco. It was Valentine's Day. They thought it'd be a nice day to, to take a little walk, a romantic walk, enjoy their time together. It was a nice afternoon. They had their light clothes on and, and off they went. However, as they walked in this, national, this state park, they got lost. They got turned around. They walked and walked and walked and couldn't find a way, couldn't find any people, couldn't find a road, and night came. Got into the 30s that night. They had just light clothing on. They were without flashlights, without food, without water. They didn't know what they were going to do. They were lost, so they hunkered down for the night. Unfortunately, one day turned into two. Two days turned into three, four, five. Finally, the eighth day, rescuers found them alive. It's a good ending to the story, but I think, could you imagine how they must have felt when they were lost? No food, no water, seemingly no hope to be found. I'm sure their family and friends were panicked. They didn't know where they were, no communication. They didn't know if they were alive or dead. They may have been injured. Well, maybe you've experienced something like that. Oh, may not, may not have been lost for a few days, but maybe you were lost for an hour. Just didn't know where you were, got turned around. Maybe it was your small child that got lost. You were in a mall and had them here one minute, and the next they were gone. It was only just a couple of minutes that they were out of your sight, but panic struck your heart. Sorrow filled you as, as this child was lost. Those moments seemed like years. Well, this morning I want to address this idea of being lost. Not in a mall, not in a state park, but spiritually lost. Separated from an all-powerful and all-loving God. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 15, a very familiar passage of Scripture. But in this chapter, Jesus drives home this idea of being lost to bring some spiritual truths. In verse 3 through 7, he, he speaks of one lost sheep. The shepherd had 101 showed up missing, and, and so he goes out and seeks for that one lost sheep. And when he finds it, he says, there's great rejoicing. The, that which he had lost was now found, and he, he was excited about that. 
Then he uses money to drive home the point as well. Woman's in her house. She has 10 coins. She looks, she counts, she has nine. And what does she do? She cleans and scours the entire house and she looks for that one lost coin. And when she finds it, she rejoices that she finds it. And then finally, the verses we're going to focus on this morning, verses 11 through 32, we see the parable of the lost son, who ultimately returns home to great rejoicing on the part of the father. In these parables, we see the tragic loss, or the tragedy of being lost, but also the joy of being found. The parable of the lost son, or what we call it the prodigal, is one of the most familiar Bible stories. However, as we shall see this morning, there's much more to this story than one lost son. In fact, I've titled the message today, Two Lost Boys. As we finish, as we look at this message, I want you to know I'm going to finish it up next Sunday. We're going to be talking about the father. You see, two lost boys, but one great, one amazing, one awesome father. I'll talk about him next week. Before we dive into our text, I want you to understand the groups that Jesus is speaking to. Verses 1 through 2, it's recorded for us. In this crowd are two distinct, diverse groups. The first group is the sinners. <laughs> they're the, the tax collectors. Often in the scriptures, they're referred to as the publicans and the sinners. They were considered the lowlifes, those who had no real morals, no real values. Now, the truth is, they knew who they were. They knew what they were. No one else had to tell them that they were sinners. They lived with themselves. These folks could relate to the younger brother in the story. They engaged in wild living. They left home, that is, the teaching of Judaism, so they could relate to him. But then there's a second group in this crowd that Jesus is speaking to. It's the Pharisees and the scribes. You see, this group held to the traditional morality of the upbringing. They kept the rules. In fact, they would say of themselves, we're, we're the law keepers. They were fancied themselves superior to others. Jesus shared another parable about them in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18. And in that, the Pharisee says this, says he prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of, of all that I possess. Here in that parable, he, the, ta- the Pharisee looked down on the tax collector who had humbled himself and bowed his, himself in the temple. But not the Pharisee. He looks up to God and he, he says, look who I am. He ticks off all the reasons why he's so profound, he, why he was superior or righteous in his own eyes. So the Pharisees, they could relate to the elder brother. He stayed home. He did what he was supposed to do. Well, as Jesus shared the first two parables, both parties could understand. They understood that a sheep was lost and they would go and find it. That they understood. They understood what the lost coin, the coin was lost. They, they, someone would go and search for it. That just made sense. They, they understood that. that. Those were things you owned. But as he got into talking about the older son and the younger son, things changed. You see, it just got personal for them. Jesus was speaking directly to them. The sheep and the coin were just things of value. 
But the countenance of the people changed as Jesus began to story, tell the story of the two sons for a myriad of reasons. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want us to do this. Just as they did in that day, they placed themselves in the parable. And that's what I want us to do this morning, wherever you are. I want you to place yourself in this parable. As I share this message with you this morning, I want you to say, with whom do you more relate? Do you more relate to the younger brother or the older brother? You see, Jesus is speaking to both groups. And I want to say this, both groups were a little surprised as Jesus shared the rest of this parable. I'm sure they got a little fidgety. Maybe they did some of this. They're kind of looking down and digging their toes in the dirt, really not wanting to make eye contact with Jesus as, as he shared these profound, deep, heart-wrenching truths. So let me share with you from Luke chapter 15, verse 11. The Word of God says this. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of goods that fall to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants had bread enough to spare, and I perished with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Bring on, uh, bring, excuse me, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here to be killed, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What are, the, what are these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come home, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends." But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad. 
For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. In these verses, we see a number of things I want to share with you today. First of all, I want us to note that these two boys were dramatically different. The younger brother was a wild child. He was the, well, he was the other brother. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this young man would come to his father and, and, and makes this demand that shocks the crowd. Even the most hardened sinners of that day would be shocked at the fact that this young man would approach his father and demand his inheritance. You see, the division of, a, of an estate like today only took place after the father died. So when this younger son came to him, it was saying something that no one wanted to hear. According to tradition, this younger brother would have received one-third of what his father had. And now he's demanding that. Here's what he's saying. You give me a third of everything that you have, and I want it now. In making this demand, the crowd understood that what that younger son was actually saying was this. I wish you were dead. All I want from you is a third. I want your money. I want what I think I deserve, what's coming to me. The crowd may have gasped when Jesus said this because this is a horrible thing to say to your father. It shows no respect, no regard for his father whatsoever and all that he had done for the son his entire life. What an, uh, what an ungrateful, insensitive, and cruel child this must have been. Can you imagine your child asking you that? And asking that literally saying, I wish you were dead so I could have what you have. This child, or rather this gives us a good idea of what this boy must have been like his whole life. You see... He was no doubt selfish and self-absorbed. He lived his whole life about himself. He didn't care about his father. He didn't care about his older brother. He didn't care about the farm or the businesses or anything like that. He just cared about himself, what he wanted. He no doubt had to be prodded to do his chores. I'm sure they had to check on him to make sure that they were done properly. When it came to spiritual things, I'm sure he was reluctant to go to worship had to be dragged there. Or maybe when his father was out working with him and just talking with him and maybe sharing spiritual truths, the son would just roll his eyes and say, oh. that was the kind of child he was. The older he got, the more rebellious and outspoken I'm sure he became. I'm sure he, he, he argued with his dad about their business and how things should be done. He argued with him about their faith politics, maybe even their sports teams. After all, this kid thought he knew it all. Thought whatever he wanted was the best. Well, as I read this story, I'll talk more about it next week, but the father's amazing because the father capitulates and he gives this wretched child his share of the inheritance. Let me just say this. Had I been the dad in the text, this would be a completely different story. But this is a picture not just of a great father, but of a great God, as we'll see next week.
The kid takes his inheritance. Verse 13 and 14 goes hog wild. I can imagine him jumping for joy as his father gives him the cash. And, and he, he, he leaves the dad's home and he, he maybe skips down the road declaring, I'm free, I'm free. I can do what I want and I've got the wherewithal to do it. I, I, no one's going to tell me what to do anymore. I'm my own man. I'm going to do things my way. No more rules, no more regulations. I'll, I'll do whatever I feel like. He begins to party like nobody's business. Maybe he strolls into the first bar he can find and he says, drinks are on me. Everybody clamors around this young kid because, well, he's got money. He buys drink and they're glad to drink the drinks that he's purchasing. I'm sure the wild girls clung on to him as well. Everyone clamored to get close to him. They thought he was really something because he thought he was really something. But as it always does, the party comes to an abrupt halt when the money runs out. Let me say this. The money always does run out. Don't know how long this took. Don't know all that was involved. But I do know this, that at some point in time, when a person lives life with reckless abandon and no source of income, the money runs out and the party's over. Notice some key words in these verses. In verse 13, it talks about prodigal living, and that means without moral restraint. He had no guidelines. Anything goes. He literally allowed his flesh to rule him. He did whatever he wanted. No morality whatsoever. Sex, drunkenness, and I'm sure if drugs were available, he was doing those as well. In verse 13, he says he... Excuse me, he was prodigal living, and that means without moral restraint. He blew his cash on foolish things, only things that served his flesh. In verse 14, it says he spent it all. That's where the term prodigal comes from. It's a great word. It means to expend all we have. I'm going to talk more about that next week. But that's what he did. He spent it all without abandon. And then the Bible says he began to be in want. He ran out. Means to be devoid of. He lacked. He spent it all. He's come to the bottom of the barrel, the end of the rope. He's in dire straits. And this is always the end of a life that's lived purely for self and without morality. The party eventually comes to an end. May have taken years. Maybe for some it will take a lifetime. But know this, it always comes to an end. As Jesus speaks of this young man, I can imagine the publicans and sinners becoming very uncomfortable because in their minds, they think Jesus is talking about them. Maybe that's the way you feel today. Maybe you can relate to this younger brother. That's where you're at. They no doubt saw themselves described in this young man. Then there was the elder brother. He was totally different. He's what we might call the good boy. While the younger brother goes off to throw away his life and live completely in the ways of this world, satisfying all his lustly desires, 
The elder brother stays home. He works. He, he has a job, and he shows up for it. He got up every day without being prodded. He knew his responsibilities, and he kept them. He showed up on time, or maybe even early, and he didn't quit when quitting time came. Maybe he stayed a little longer. He was the dependable one. He, he hears what is going on, and, and, or rather, uh, the elder brother was the good boy. Let me back up here. Uh, he, he, he did all that he was supposed to do. He followed the rules. When he hears what's going on to his, uh, to his father, he says, I've kept all the rules, Dad. I've done exactly what you've asked me to do. I've been obedient. He was quick to point out the difference between him and his younger brother. He, the younger brother, he went out and threw his life away. Where was I, Dad? I was here. I was faithful. I was dedicated. He, he said, I'm the one that went to worship with you. I'm the one that listened as you uh, spoke about spiritual things. I'm the one that paid attention. I'm the one who did all those things. At this point, the Pharisees and scribes, no doubt, have a smug grin on their face. Yeah, that's us. We're the good guys. We follow the rules. We do what we're told. We, we color within the lines. We're the good people. But as this parable unfolds, the group, both groups are set back as Jesus lays out the state of these two boys. You see, on the one hand, these boys were totally different. But as Jesus shares the rest of the parable, we come to this conclusion, these boys were exactly the same. They were both lost. The younger sought happiness through, self, through selfish pleasure. He wanted to be free from the constraints and he thought, you know, if I please myself, I'll find all the answers to life. I'll just do what I want. I'll experience life as I want it, and, and no one's going to tell me what to do. I'll, I'll just do whatever I want, whatever feels good, and I'll be happy. It's a philosophy, not just today, but it's been here for a long time. And so he did it. When confronted about his wrongdoing, he'd simply say, hey, it may be wrong in your eyes, but I make up my rules. I do what I think is right. I am my moral compass. This mentality says do whatever you want, pursue whatever you want, regardless of what you have to achieve. It's nar narcissism personified. I'm the center of the universe. That was this young man. But the elder brother was just as lost. Here's why. Because he sought happiness through religious rules. He thought if I keep the rules, then I'll be good enough. I'll gain the approval. He held his desires in check. He desired uh, he, he, he submitted to the rules and the regulations. He was the good kid. He was the one who didn't want to do anything wrong. He didn't want to get in trouble. He didn't want to break the rules. He was the kid in school that reminded the teacher that there was a quiz today. Well, I was the kid that beat that kid up at recess. But that's who he was. He was comfortable with the checklist. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Because he followed the rules. In his mind, he would say, I obey, therefore, I deserve, I'm better than others. However, his true nature is revealed when the younger son comes home. You see, he's not happy that his brother's life is now savaged. 
Verse 30, he refuses to go in. And, and in verse 29, he insults the father by saying, lo, rather than addressing him as father. And when he said lo, it simply means, look here. He was mad. And he lost total respect and regard for his father and treated him despicably. Some argue that by bringing the younger son back, he was now eligible for, a, again, a third. And that would have cut into the elder brother's inheritance. And maybe he was concerned about that. You see, both these young men were depending upon themselves. The younger made up his own rules, while the other was depending not on the father, but himself to gain the approval of the father. Something else I see here is that neither of these sons wanted a relationship with the father. As a father, it must have broke the dad's heart. The sons just wanted what they could get from him. With the younger, it's easy to say. He says, give me. I, I want what you have. The, the younger, it's a little harder to see, but it's there too. You see, the elder did not want a relationship with the father. From him, for him, it was about keeping the rules, looking good in his own eyes. The younger son says, when he comes back, he says, make me as one of your hired servants. That's an interesting thing. You see, he doesn't say, make me as your son. Uh, pay me. Make me like one of your hired servants. The relationship is not there. The younger, I mean the older brother, his heart was revealed when the younger brother comes home. He refuses to go in even though the father wanted him to do that. The father's embraced the younger son, but the older brother says no. And he chides the father for what he has not received. I didn't get a party. I don't have that. Where's mine? You see, what can you do for me, father? He refuses to do what the father wants, even as the father pleads with him. He stands there defiantly and says, I will not go in. I won't associate with that foul brother that I have. They both wanted what the father could provide for them. Neither one of them wanted a close personal relationship with the father. You see, the relationship they had with the father was simply a means to an end. Dad, what can you do for me? What can you give me? That's the end of the story. No resolution. Is it solved? Does the elder brother capitulate and come in? Does the younger brother now want to become a son? We don't know. Jesus doesn't tell us that. And here's why. Jesus is you in the story for you. You see, it doesn't matter how it ends for these two boys. What matters is how it ends for you. And that's the whole purpose of this story. Jesus is essentially saying, here's the truth. Now what are you going to do with it? So that's the way it is today. With whom do you most relate in this story? Are you like the younger one, the wild child? You see, as I read this, I know with my life, that's where I fall. When I was young, I just wanted to party. I just wanted to have a good time. 
live life my way. Maybe that's the way you are. Always bucking the rules. Always bucking the regulations. You say, yeah, I don't want to do it that way. I don't want people telling me what to do. Don't push your morals and values on me. I'll, I'll do what I want. Maybe that's where you are today, regardless of what the Father or anyone else thinks. Or maybe you're the good child. You abide by the rules. You got your little checklist. I keep that one, I keep that one. And you look at yourself and, and you say, look, I'm amazing. I'm the good child. And, and you do all these things not so you can have a relationship with the Father, but so that you can look good in the eyes of others and maybe earn your way. Or regardless of which child you can relate, the need we all have is a close, intimate relationship with the Father. See, he wants that for all of us. He made that possible by giving his only begotten son. The reason is we're sinners. We can't get to him without him. So God gave his son for us. So let me ask you, have you personally accepted Christ as your savior? Have you repented of your sin and by faith believed in him and accepted him into your life? Christian, maybe you're struggling with rebellion today, resisting the father trying to go your own way, making up your rules. Or maybe you're the rule keeper. You think, well, I do what I'm supposed to. But today you realize, maybe for the first time, that you're keeping the rules just so you can look good. It's not about the Father at all. So we're left with the choice, a decision to make today. The question is, what will we do? Well, if you're not sure of your eternal destiny, here's what I want you to do. Right now, right where you are, if you're not sure, I want you to bow your head in prayer with me, and I want you to pray this prayer. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus loves me, that he died for me and rose again. I ask you to forgive me of my sin by faith, I accept you as my personal savior and I give my life to you in Jesus name. If you prayed that prayer and you're serious about allowing God to become the Lord of your life, here's what I want you to do. I want you to text Jesus, J-E-S-U-S to this number, 68878. That's Jesus to 68878. Well, you say, you know, I didn't accept Christ today, but I've got some questions. Then you text Jesus to 68878, and it'll give you, respond to you, and you'll get some information, and we'll be in contact with you and answer any questions you have. Christian, let me ask you, how are you doing this morning? Are you the rule keeper or a little rebellious today? What's your relationship like with the Father? Do you have the intimate relationship, or maybe you're doing what you do just so you can get from the Father? and you've missed that relationship. God calls you to it today, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the truths you bring to us. And I pray that each of us in this place this morning and God, wherever people are listening to you, that they'll respond to the word and the spirit as you work in their lives and they'll be drawn to you. I thank you, God, for your goodness. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for getting online with us today. I want to remind you, this Wednesday, you can uh, follow us on Facebook, FBC Facebook, and you'll be able to view the uh, message this Wednesday evening. I'll be preaching a message entitled, Running Without a Message. Next Sunday, tune in with us again at 11 o'clock online, and I'll share part two of today's message, One Great Father. Thank you, and may God bless you.